Blog Talk Radio. 50 million voices mumbling from the street, talking about the haters and who they will retreat. Now folks are talking hard, hey, checking out the jobs. Despite the hate and lying leaders, we are still alive. I, Let me talk. One word of compassion reflection. Available every Thursday, 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. Greetings everyone. Welcome again to Warrior of Compassion Reflections, study number 15. Yes, we are now entering into study number 15 of the WOCG. I hope you're finding these lessons helpful and are becoming a more powerful human being as a result of it. We hope that you're weaving together your strength, power, and integrity as a human being with the divinity that lies deep within the center of yourself. You should be able to deal more easily with stress and pain if you have been following these lessons, you should be in very good physical shape. And you also should be able to make the world a better place for you, your children, and your children's children. And so welcome. It is good to see that you're still on the path. This is the first show you have listened to, we suggest you go all the way back to lesson number one and listen and listen to them in the order in which they are given, doing the exercises and contemplating them one month per each lesson or at least for 21 days. That way you can get the full effect of these lessons really become a powerful person with the creative energy to make a new and beautiful world right now in this world and in your newfound talents, you'll also have the strength and power to birth a new world into this system and change it so that you can create the power of love and the power of heaven on earth. So after a little bit of a break, we will go to study number 15.
find out more about what we're doing, come visit us at www.nextupcoaching.com. That is www.nextupcoaching.com. And so we begin with study number 15, the title, Come Closer to the Truth, Introduction, Greeting, Teacher, and Warrior. It is my hope that you have been continuing in these WOCG lessons. If you have, you have most likely become aware of the workings of the world and the workings of yourself. You have become healthy. You have become spiritually connected through learning Reiki. You have become a healer who is not only able to heal others, but also yourself. Your life has changed greatly, and you have come closer to the truth. The truth is setting you free. What is truth? Does it really matter? One knows truth, I think, more in one's heart than in one's head. One does not need to be able to explain what truth is to others in order to prove that one understands it. One's lifestyle, one's way of being speaks the truth more loudly than one's words possibly can. Since we are in a land of dualism, however, where the philosophy of the rulers of the world say that there has to be a separation between the intellect and the heart, we must work to be able to explain things to those with dull ears. This is part of the process of teaching. Teaching takes much thought. It means being able to tap into one's own source of knowledge and being able to make that knowledge within the self that is complex and non-dualistic into that which is simple. This can be done by creating a linear lesson plan where you can lead a person step by step to a larger understanding, or it can be done by creating or by using metaphor and story. Metaphor and story gets the student to think more deeply into his or herself in order to understand these stories or metaphors. A person must not only think about them, but compare and contrast them to what he or she sees and knows to be true in the external world. He or she is then able to not only understand the universal symbology of the metaphor, but is able to create universal symbology also. Because he or she has absorbed the story. When he or she shares the story after that, he or she is sharing some of his or herself. Both methods work. I myself prepare the second method, even though there is often less tolerance for it among those who lean solely towards intellectualism, though it may seem like many. However, it is often only a few vocal, powerful people who do so. What is truth? It is the sound of thunder clapping. It is the soft breeze carried on the August wind. It is that sweet smell that comes in the morning right after a cleansing rain. The truth is life and the experience of life. If this is what truth is, though, the experience of life, what is death, 
I would say that death is nothing more than the experience of life also. When we look at death and we see it from the larger view, we can see what we label death. It's simply the separation of someone who we have come to love and know from this plane of existence. It is separation from the soul or spirit from the body on this plane. Where does it go, though? It has to go somewhere. If the spirit or soul is just energy, it has to go back into the system where it becomes part of everything again. What if, however, the soul goes to another place? Many great thinkers have suggested that the soul is born over and over again, one life after another. They say that the soul exists on a spiritual plane that is part of God is God creation, the created spark of the universe. When the soul enters into a body, it does so for the perfection of the self and in order to impart knowledge to a blind world. This world is ruled by the hard-hearted. It is ruled by those who have cut parts of themselves away so that they can treat others and the earth itself cruelly, without remorse, that blinded themselves. Their system is one that is set up to replicate the blindness and to promote those who would cut off their human and godly feelings toward other people, animals, plants, and the earth in order to gain material possessions. When a person reaches this state, he or she becomes soulless and is no longer human. Paul Tillich, a great theologian, once wrote an essay called Man, the Choice Maker. In fact, I think it was a book. In this book, he said that the only thing that differentiated the human being from the animal was that humans were aware. They were not only aware of themselves and their immediate surroundings, but of the bigger picture. They were aware of history, cause and effect, the universe, several other things that animals and plants are not aware of or choose not to be. He said that human beings were always making choices. When one went on automatic and was not able to think logically and make choices, whether those choices were right or wrong, one was no longer human, according to Tilly. One was mere was a mere automaton who was worse than an animal because of all the damage that one could do in the world. When we look at the earth, the environment, the breakdown of the family and courtesy, we need to ask ourselves if this is not the case right now. This system helps to create automatons. One blinds oneself enough not to be able to distinguish good from evil, or to emphasize, or to empathize with or feel the way others are hurting, one begins to abuse people. One puts them down in order to stop from being psychologically connected with them. It makes up evil stereotypes about them in order to separate oneself even further. One begins to live a lie. When one it's for the entered into the lie. One can no longer choose the truth. So one is no longer human. We return to this earth, therefore, to help people remember and to help them become 
human again so they can become divine on earth as it is in heaven. The most spiritual and enlightened ones are the ones who have come among us as the most disempowered in order to remind us that they are human and that they are divine. The poor, the broken, the disabled, the mentally challenged, the mentally ill are usually the highest, most enlightened souls who have chosen to live lives in the depth of pain in order to enlighten others and better themselves. They better themselves by feeling what those who suffer the most feel. This keeps them humble and does not allow them to build up false pride and arrogance. Thus the saying, blessed is the poor, is not a saying just to keep the rabble calm and in its place. It is a saying that connotes reality from a larger view. Blessed are the downtrodden, for they are the most loving, powerful spirits enshrined in broken bodies and broken lives. And these bodies, like broken vessels, give up the riches that are sealed within them and lie back into Mother Earth from whom they came. The beautiful souls will rise up again to the heights of the universe and shine forth like the morning star. Who are the accursed in this scenario? Who are the ones with the most karmic debt? Those who are born into wealth. Those who are born with power and prestige that they have not earned. Their hearts often become as hard as stone and they blind themselves to the needs of others. When they have become sufficiently blinded, they cease to be choice makers. Life after life must be lived in order for them to be able to make clear choices about their destinies again. Until then, they become weavers of chaos. The blessed ones are the ones who are born in the worst of circumstances who through their own efforts, drive, and determination prosper wherever they are while remaining kind, cheerful, and loving. They are the ones who can see no matter where they are or what their circumstances. When one does this, it is the mark of a highly developed soul who brushes away the effects of karma. Such a soul is an enlightened soul who has come back to set others free by helping them remember and by helping them become human again, by becoming choice makers again. All of this, of course, could be the sheer imagination of this writer and the many writers, mystics, priests, church fathers, and psychologists who are now finding these things to be true. They could also, however, be very true. What does your heart tell you? The heart of the mystic often only speaks the truth, no matter what the form in which it comes. For those who have ears to hear what the mystic has written, let them hear for those who do not have ears to hear, perhaps in the future. The lesson gathered within this writing may not be for you at this time.
we now go to our next section, FYC, for your consideration. This is from an essay by Vincent Harding called Dangerous Spirituality. You have not come here to hear a detached scholarly lecture about the two powerful figures who are on our program. I am deeply and unavoidably attached, fully engaged. One of them is Howard Thurman. Howard Thurman was my adopted father, pastor, spiritual guide. The other, Martin Luther King, was my adopted brother and leader in the struggle. So began Dr. Vincent Harding delivering the first Sojourner's Spirituality Lecture, excerpted below on March 10, 1998. Dr. Harding, a Sojourner's contributing editor and noted author, is Professor of Religion and Social Transformation at the ILF School of Theology in Denver. He and his wife, Rosemary, are co-chairpersons of the Gandhi Hammer King Center for the Study of Religion and Democratic Renewal, based at Ida. Harding's lecture was delivered in Howard University's Andrew Rankin Memorial Chapel in Washington, D.C., where Howard Thurman once served as dean, the editors in their different and sometimes similar ways. Howard and Martin Luther King represented a spirituality deeply solidly based in one place among one people about which they had no doubt at all. Just as Jesus as Nazareth, of Nazareth represented a spirituality based in one place among one people about whom he had no doubt at all. At the same moment, both King and Thurman reached out far, far beyond that ground and that base and saw no contradictions in being grounded and reaching out as part of one motion of spirit and life. Thurman was, and this was a deep part of his spirituality, a seeker. Thurman was never satisfied with the truth that he had achieved, knowing always there was more to come, and that he must never think that he had found it all. So in 1935, Howard Thurman and Sue Bailey Thurman, her name must be connected to his and his to hers because they were a magnificent team, and she was as powerful a figure as you could think of, went to India. <coughs> Excuse me. They went to India and what is now Sri Lanka and traveled a great deal. Thurman had to understand who were these people who were not Christian, but who from the deepest part of his being he knew were God's children. He began asking in profound ways, what is the relationship of God's various children to each other? though they go by different names, and he went to sit with one of the greatest of God's children, the Hindu saint, Mohandas K. Gandhi. Gandhi asked him questions about what it meant to be black in the Americas. Thurman asked Gandhi questions about the possible relevance of the nonviolent struggle that was going on in India for what might go on in the United States. 
Thurman's face was not a door that closed in on him. That's something to be kept protected or guarded. There was an opening door that opened out into the spirit, faith, dreams, and seeking of others. We cannot know the spiritual quality of Howard Thurman unless we know the spirituality of the open door. What was he seeking? Why did he go to Gandhi? The center of his seeking was Mr. Gandhi. We are in deep trouble in my country. Millions of people are in deep trouble. Some of them know it. Some of those who are causing the trouble don't know it. But we are all in trouble in my country, Mr. Gandhi. What do you have to say to us from what you have learned about the nonviolent struggle to deal with the troubles of the Indian people? You see, this is not a 1990s new age or seeker who goes around the world looking for answers only to personal issues. Spirituality of Howard Thurman was that of a seeker who sought for the healing of his people and his nation. Therefore, Howard Thurman must be understood as a man of spirit who understood what roots are for. Thurman saw that his roots were not to be worshipped, that his roots were to provide him with tree-like strength to reach out, to explore new possibilities for his life, but even more to explore new possibilities for the life of his people and his nation, roots for growth, not for self-admiration, roots for power, not for control, but to share. I want to read to you from Thurman's The Luminous Darkness. In it, he tells us a great deal about those roots and about that spirituality and about where he was going. The fact that the first 23 years of my life were spent in Florida and in Georgia has left its scars deep in my spirit and has rendered me terribly sensitive to the churning abyss separating white from black. Living outside of the region, I am aware of the national span of racial prejudice and the virus of segregation that undermines the vitality of American life. So he says, I know the story. I know the story of racism and segregation in my bones. No one has to tell me about it. And then he says, nevertheless, knowing all of that, experiencing all of that, Nevertheless, a strange necessity has been laid upon me to devote my life to the central concern that transcends the walls that divide and would achieve in literal fact what is experienced as literal truth. Human life is one, and all men and women are members of one another. Thurman's spirituality was grounded not only in the beauties of the black experience, but grounded as well in the terror of the black experience as only someone living in Florida and Georgia could know them in 1915 and 1920 and 1930. At the same time, it was a spirituality that says, and knowing all that, I also know that all human beings are one. This is a strange combination of spiritual truth with hard political social truth. And this kind of combination led one man in the 1930s to say this about Howard Thurman. I'm disappointed in him. We thought we had found our Moses. He turns out to be a mystic. That's the spirituality that gets people all riled up. Understand this about Thurman and about King. Here are men who had no point in their life would ever deny the terrors of what 
was going on and what it was to be black in America. At no point in their life would they deny the terrorism of so much of being white in America. At the same time, they would never deny oneness of all. That's a tough spirituality. That's not any kind of sweet by and by spirituality. That's spirituality. It takes on the world as it is and says, I'm going to figure this out one way or the other. The mystic and the Moses. It is important to realize that King and Thurman were deeply connected to each other. The legend is that Martin carried around a copy of Thurman's Jesus and the Disinherited wherever he went. He was certainly a practitioner of what Thurman was trying to deal with in that book. Thurman was saying, if you are living in the spirit of Jesus, then you cannot live in the spirit of fear. You cannot live in the spirit of deception, even for good causes. You cannot live in the spirit of hatred. None of those is the way of Jesus. The spirituality of Martin King, in an even more active, militant way than Thurman, was the spirituality of resting with the angels, the angels within and the angels around the demonic angels and the divine angels. No spirituality without resting. That's where King was coming from. That spirituality came directly from the Gospel of Luke. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And what is the Spirit upon me for? So I can jump and scream and shout and sing, yes, maybe that. But right then in Montgomery, Alabama, the spirituality began. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me so that I can go and stand with the poor, with the messed up, with the beaten up, with the downtrodden. That was King's spirituality. Spirituality that makes it impossible for me and you to avoid folks in trouble. Spirituality to work with the poor, to be with the prisoners, to stay close to the brokenhearted, and to know what Thurman's moves. Even though God was so good to black folks in such hard times, their God could never be captured by black folks. Black folks were simply one of God's beloved people. Like Thurman King had to figure out what you do with all of the other beloved people, especially the messed up beloved people, especially the beloved people that don't know their beloved. So this was King's spirituality. They sent him into Albany, Georgia, into Birmingham, into St. Augustine, present, present, constantly present to those in trouble. That's where he was coming from when he came here to Washington, D.C. in 1963. Don't forget that, please. He didn't come down and say, I have a dream and disappear. He came out of hard struggles that were guided by his spirituality. Tough dangerous, death-defiant struggles, and yet at the same time, he could speak to the whole nation and say, you aren't what you should be, nation, and I'm not just cursing you out. I am entreating you in love to be what God meant for you to be, for me to be, for us to be. King was offering an entire nation the opportunity to be free at mass if we're willing to work, if we're willing to struggle if we're willing to 
faced our bondage. This spirituality took him back to burning hands to mourn with the mourning mothers and fathers of those bombed out children, but also led him to challenge the white supremacy of that Alabama countryside and say, no, I'm not going to give into this because this is contrary to the spirit. White people are not supreme, and every time they think they are, they are killing their spirit and every spirit. This spirituality led him to challenge Selma, to challenge the terrible writing, voting discrimination, and throughout the South, this spirituality led him to call thousands of us to risk our lives to join the struggle for the expansion of democracy. Martin Luther King's spirituality did not stop with marching from Selma to Montgomery. Martin was saying some very, very powerfully spiritual things to black people and white people and to everyone else who would listen. Here is how in 1966 he expressed his spirituality. This man must have certainly gotten things messed up because this is what he thought spirituality was about. I choose to identify with the underprivileged. I choose to identify with the poor. I choose to give my life for the hungry. I choose to live for and with those who find themselves seeing life as a long, desolate corridor with no exit signs. This is the way I'm going. If it means suffering a little bit, I'm going that way. If it means sacrificing, I'm going that way. If it means dying for them, I'm going that way. Because I heard the voice saying, do something for others. That was his spirituality. I'm not absolutely sure why you would want to know about it. But that was it. Of course, before many months were over, King also said, I identify with those people you call groups and enemies and the Viet Cong and those who must be burned to death. I identify with them. They are my sisters and brothers. Those are my children running a flame. That was his spirituality. It's not just praying our father, but finding his sisters and brothers and then acting it out in public challenges to the U.S. government, acting out his commitment to the poor by trying to organize the poor, not just to give nice things to them, but to organize the poor so that they can gain what they needed for their own lives. That is the spirituality that we see him going to the end of his life with. His final saying was, America, listen to me, please. You are being burdened down by some terrible commitment. Any nation that chooses to spend more on ornaments than on social reform is a nation in trouble. He said, America, I would not say these things to you if I did not love you, but you are in danger of giving into militarism, to materialism, as well as racism. The tricky matter is that when Martin said these things, it had already become very clear that he was not just talking to white people. The very process of desegregation was already beginning to suck us in so deep into the ways of life and thought of the nation that he could not speak to the nation about his situation without speaking to his own black people. That was the spirituality that got lots of people very uncomfortable. 
That's what spirituality does. It gets people uncomfortable. Howard Thurman once offered a wonderful statement from a great social gospeler, Walter Rushenbach. He said, Rushenbach claimed that there are many, many good people around, but very few are good enough to disturb the peace of the devil. King became a disturber of the peace without any question speaking to us. I want to close now by coming back to King's father, to my father, to your father, Howard Thurman, and to listen to these words that Thurman wrote about life in this country and what kind of spirituality is required to live it. This again is from the luminous darkness. Please forgive Father Howard's sexist language. The burden of being black and the burden of being white is so heavy that it is rare in our society to experience oneself as a human being. It may be, I don't know, that to experience oneself as a human being is one with experiencing one's fellows as human beings. It means that the individual must have a sense of kinship to life that transforms and goes beyond immediate kinship of family or the organic kinship that binds him or her ethnically or racially or nationally. He has a sense of being an essential part of the structural relationship that exists between him and all other men and women and between him and all other men and women and the total external environment as a human being then he belongs to life and the whole kingdom of life that includes all that lives and perhaps also all that has ever lived in other words he sees himself as a part of a continuing breathing living existence to be a human being then is to be essentially alive in a living world. What more could one ask from a spirituality to show us the way to be alive with God's life in God's world? That's what the father was about. That's what the brother was about. And that is the end of the reading. After a little bit of a break. You have the closing. Become a warrior of compassion and begin to work to make the world a better place not only for yourself but your children and your children's children. If you would like to become a member of the John Gilmore's Next Step Coaching Warrior of Compassion Guild for Caring, please go to our website at www.next stepcoaching.forthenumberttheletter.com that is www.nextstepcoaching.com and you can go to the tab that says OMS Radio Show there you will find 
a donation box for any amount you will become a warrior of compassion hoping to support this show and outreach into the community which involves work that is body work philosophical work talking with people, teaching people, and training people at a very, very low cost in order to spread truth about the world, truth about love and justice, the truth about what it means to be a citizen who is contributing to the betterment of humankind. A donation of $20 or more will get you a copy of one of our many books that is written and developed purposely to empower the reader. This includes one of our most in-depth books called Distant Corners in a Crowded Room, The Application of Sat Yoga in Your Daily Lives. This book explains the way that we are socialized and the way that we can move beyond our socialization to awakening is the last spiritual book that you will ever have to read. Thank you for being with us at Live Talk Radio, Practical Spirituality, and thank you for your donation. Now we finish with the last section, or TME, this month's exercises. The Warrior of Compassion learns how to do one action that brings about many results. Some examples of this are the exercise programs and meditations that you have been doing at the end of these lessons. The exercises work on many levels. They not only strengthen the body, they also strengthen the mind and spirit. They normalize blood pressure, relieve stress, increase balance and flexibility, and are also a form of med- moving meditation that helps one heal from the oppression of the world. They expand your vision so that you can sense the connection that you have with other people and with the universe. As you become part of the larger universe and not the world system created by the dominators of this earth, you can begin to heal from the oppression that is brought about as a result of seeing the Maya, the illusion created by the masters of this world as the only reality. As we live as though this way of being is the only reality, we create thoughts and behaviors that help us punish ourselves for not being what they teach us regularly and we're supposed to be. We often take in the negative messages that the society offers us on a subconscious level. You can, however, remove these messages, or you can at least separate them from the self, making them powerless. You can become aware of them and even observe them and study them as they attempt to control your waking life and emotional feelings and even realize that they are not you or your thoughts 
There are simply physical reactions that occur by being stimulated by something outside yourself. This stimulation brings about a chemical reaction in your brain that is a reaction that has been conditioned throughout life by the system in which we live. As we meditate, we separate ourselves from the conditioning and we connect to the higher self, the part which the Greeks at one time called the logos or the reason. It was a very spark that took two or three opposing ideas and created reality and knowledge from them. Logos was the creator of the world, and one sought to become the Logos by releasing the divine spark from one's body at death to become part of the Logos again. This was done by living a life of virtue and by coming to accept life without bitterness or angry, but with a sense of understanding and a larger awareness of reality than the average individual continue to do these exercises as much as possible. They will create a space for cleansing and for the logos. By now, if you have been doing the standing like a tree and holding the balloon, you should be noticing some effects. Expected to be painful in some instances, but stand there and think about life. Use your mind to remain in the present moment. Don't look forward to it ending or dread how long it takes. Just be aware. Be aware of the flow of energy through your body. How does pain differ from other energy? What do you think about? What emotions and memories arise? All of these things are the essence of what is stored within your body. They are the things that influence you daily on a subconscious level. In this meditation, we much call forth all that is inside of us in order to find rest as our shoulders, our legs, our bodies begin to hurt. It is the same way in our lives if we are overcomers. Life feels great sometimes, but sometimes life hurts. If you have not begun to increase your time during the exercise of holding a ball and or standing like a tree, increase the exercise time to 15 minutes instead of 10 now. Do not go for 15. This is part of discipline. Try to do the standing meditation every day. Later you will be asked to increase the standing time further by another five minutes. Followed up with the Badwa Jin meditation, I mean Badwa Jin Qigong or the four-minute fitness Qigong by Keith Jeffries. Or you can do it right before you do the standing meditation. Look over the rest of your exercise program. Try to do Tang Lin with the pain that you experience while holding the position. Experiment. Continue to do Tang Lin for those who have not forgiven, who you have not forgiven, or those who you are angry with right now. Continue to write down your reactions in your journal to see how it feels and if there's a difference between how you felt and reacted to negativity previously and how you do now. Go deeper into time and use it for practical purposes. This will help you become a living, blessing plan and will free all of the energy that you are using to repress anger and hurt. 
dance the dance of the warrior. Do the work that will heal you and give you the power to make your dreams come true. Become a leader in the world and work to make this world a more loving and beautiful place. Not only for yourself, for your friends and family, but for all beings. Namaste. Thank you for being with us for this lesson. We are always happy to be in contact with the Warrior of Compassion Guild. Consider becoming part of the Warrior of Compassion Caring, working in order to care for those in need, always. Namaste, everyone. For more information, please visit us at our website at www.nextstepcoaching.forthenumber.com. That is www.nextstepcoaching.4t.com where you can learn about some of the body work we are offering and also some of our life coaching. Namaste. 50 million voices mumbling from the streets Talking about the haters and who they will retreat Now folks are talking heartache Checking out this job Despite the hate and lying leaders We are still alive I, 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 stand tall, stand tall, let me talk, let me talk, let me talk, oh, whoa, whoa, I, 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 stand tall, stand tall, let me talk, let me talk, let me talk, one warrior of compassion reflections, available every Thursday, 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. Locked Warrior Reflection Where we reflect reality back to you.